Hello, and welcome to the Society of Critical Care Medicine's iCritical Care podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Margaret Parker. Today, I will be speaking with Katherine Steinick, PharmD, about the article, Evaluation of a Pharmacist-Managed Methadone Taper, published in the March 2014 issue of Pediatric Critical Care Medicine. Dr. Steinick works as a pediatric clinical pharmacist at the University of Minnesota Amplatz Children's Hospital in Minneapolis. Thank you for being with us today, Katie. Thank you very much. So, Katie, how common is opioid tolerance and withdrawal in the pediatric ICU? I would estimate that roughly 10 to 15% of our patients that are in the PICU will require some type of a wean of their opioids to prevent withdrawal. And I would say that we use methadone in approximately 80% of those patients. So we have a pretty large population. These are mostly kids who are mechanically ventilated and receiving, obviously, fairly large or lengthy doses of narcotics, right? Correct. Right. So what made your unit develop a methadone weaning protocol? So our protocol was designed to offer a little bit better standardization of our practices to allow for a consistent and appropriate wean from methadone. Our taper lengths were extremely variable and were very physician-dependent. So as the attendings changed um, from week to week, we had different opinions on how we should be tapering the methadone. We also were seeing an increased level of acuity at our institution at that time as well, where we had an increased number of patients that were acquiring extremely long continuous opioid infusions. And hence a larger population of patients who needed a methadone wean. Yes. So how did you go about developing your protocol? So in around 2001, we had a pharmacist that kind of sat down and reviewed the literature and kind of pieced together a standard of practice. And so it was just really bare bones guidelines. And then in 2010, we revisited that protocol and really did kind of an overhaul of that, of what had previously been established. So our dosing was developed by reviewing all of the existing literature, which is scarce, but also understanding all of the pharmacology of the different medications that we were utilizing in our pediatric population. We looked at how we had been weaning the methadone previously and kind of looked at our best practice physicians and best practice patients that really had excellent outcomes to kind of drive what we were going to do in the future. And then we also consulted other pediatric critical care centers to see if they had protocols in place to see if we could maybe glean any information from them and use it as a springboard to create our own protocol. Standardizing care in the ICU is not an easy task. How did you go about implementing this protocol? It was definitely the most difficult piece to get the physicians to relinquish control and really give that power over to the pharmacy staff. What a surprise. Oh, sorry, right. Um, But we included all of our key players right away in the decision-making process. So we have a really excellent interdisciplinary group at Amplatz, especially in our PICU. So having the head of the PICU staff really be on our side and really want to see this change happen and kind of be a champion for the pharmacy to take over this role was was a crucial part. But we've always had an excellent relationship between our, our physician staff and our pharmacy staff at the University of Minnesota. We've been an interdisciplinary care team for many years. So it was actually an easier transition than I think we anticipated. So what did you do in this study that you've just published? Well, our primary objective was to evaluate the efficacy of the pharmacist-managed methadone taper as compared to our previous prescribing practices. And then we also were trying to uh, determine how well we were adhering to that protocol. How did you do the study? 
Well, it was a retrospective, non-blinded, non-randomized case control study. So we conducted it at AMPLATS, uh, which is a 96-bed pediatric quaternary care facility, and we have a 24-bed ICU. And most of the patients that were uh, evaluated for the study were in the intensive care unit. So our control group patients came from January 2006 to 2008, and then we used an intervention period from May 2010 to May 2011. So we allowed for about an 18-month washout period just because we knew that as we were developing the protocol, it was affecting prescribing practices even though it wasn't officially in place. So we wanted to make sure we kind of had a clear delineation between pre-protocol and post-protocol implementation. To be included in the study, the patient had to be admitted to one of our pediatric units and be prescribed methadone. And then they were excluded if the methadone wasn't used for withdrawal, so if it was being used for pain control or other purposes. And they were also excluded if the patient was discharged or passed away during the length of the taper. So we used the electronic medical record to collect data including demographics, withdrawal risk, hospital length of stay, PICU length of stay, the length of the methadone taper, the number of extra doses of opioids required while tapering, the length of the continuous opioid infusions that patients received after initiating methadone, and also the documentation of withdrawal scores and what those withdrawal scores were. How did you determine the patient's withdrawal risk? So it's, it's written into our protocol to stratify patients based on the length of the opioid infusion or the cumulative exposure to opioid. And we derived this from the literature that was out there, looking at the percent of patients that withdrawal from opioids based on the length of continuous infusion. So we broke our patients into four risk groups. The low risk was if they'd received opioids for less than five days continuously, and we tapered them off methadone in um, three days. And then our moderate risk group was defined as if they received continuous opioid infusion from five to nine days, and we then tapered them off methadone in 14 And then our high-risk patients were those that received greater than 10 days or a cumulative fentanyl dose of 1,500 to 2,499 micrograms per kilo or an equivalent opioid dose. And we tapered those patients off methadone in 18 days. And then our very high-risk patients were those that had greater than 28 days of continuous opioid infusion or a cumulative dose greater than 2.5 milligrams per kilo of fentanyl or an equivalent opioid dose. And we tapered them off of methadone in about 24 days. So what did you find when you looked at the two study groups, the control and the patients managed under this pharmacy-driven, pharmacist-driven protocol? Certainly. The new pharmacist-managed methadone taper resulted in a shorter wean, in decreased use of additional opioids, better compliance with withdrawal scoring, and a trend towards a shorter length of stay. So to kind of expand on each of those points, we saw a decrease in the average length of methadone use. Prior to initiating the protocol, the average length of the taper was 24.7 days. After the taper, or after the protocol was initiated, we decreased to just 15 days on average for our methadone tapers. And this did reach statistical significance. We also broke it down into each of those four risk groups. And now they didn't reach statistical significance because our sample size was just too small to power it that well. But we did see that in each risk group, there was a decrease in the length of methadone taper. So in our low-risk patients, before the protocol, it was 24 days, and after the protocol, we had decreased it to an average of four, so a pretty dramatic drop. In our moderate-risk group, we saw that before the protocol implementation, it was 18.1 days, and after implementation, it was down to seven. 
in the high risk, it was 24.2 days before the protocol and down to 15 afterwards. And then in the very high-risk patient population, we saw a decrease from 32.4 days to just 22 days on methadone. To look at it a little bit different way, the length of the taper before protocol implementation ranged anywhere from 7 to 72 days. So like I mentioned before, a high degree of variability in the length of methadone taper. And after the pharmacist intervention, we decreased that range from 3 to 34 days. So we really made a really drastic change in the length our patients were remaining on methadone regardless of risk group. We also saw a 46% decrease in the duration of continuous opioid infusion after the methadone initiation. So per our protocol, patients have to be off their continuous opioid within 48 hours of initiating methadone. And this is based on the pharmacokinetics of the methadone itself, where it takes that long for it to build up to a steady state in the body. So we allow for some overlap so that the patients don't withdraw precipitously. But we were seeing that before the protocol was started, patients were on a continuous infusion for 79.9 hours in addition to being on methadone. So we were able to decrease that to an average of 42.7 hours with protocol implementation. And that also reached statistical significance. We also saw a decrease in the average number of as-needed doses of additional opioids. So these would be uh, doses given if a patient was experiencing withdrawal symptoms. Before our protocol, we saw an average of 30.6 doses per patient, and after we saw it decrease to just 16.7. And there could be a lot of reasons for this, one being that we had more stringent criteria for the administration of the PRN dose or the as-needed dose. Prior to the protocol, the instructions were just every one hour as needed for withdrawal. And after the protocol was implemented, we had specific guidelines for what dose based on what withdrawal score that the patient was exhibiting. And this didn't reach statistical significance, the difference in number of doses, but there was a high degree of variability in this, in this piece, where in the pre-protocol, doses ranged from no doses given during the wean to 246 doses in one patient. So there was a lot of difference in the amount of PRNs given. And then after protocol implementation, it ranged from no doses to all the way up to 97. So overall, less opioid used, but it's, it's a difficult variable to kind of pin down and, and really look at. One of the things we were very comfortable with the fact that even though we were using less methadone, we were using less continuous opioid infusion, and we were using fewer as-needed doses, our withdrawal scores weren't any different between the two groups. And that was one of the things that we really did want to assess to make sure that we weren't precipitating withdrawal or making symptoms worse by initiating our new protocol. We wanted to, of course, keep patient care at the forefront. So we saw no statistical difference between the withdrawal scores in each group, and we also saw more consistent documentation of withdrawal scores after the protocol. So only 37.5% of patients had any withdrawal scores documented during their taper before initiating the pharmacist-managed protocol. And afterwards, we had 95% of patients with withdrawal scores clearly documented in the electronic medical record. And the last thing that we were interested in is that it did show a trend towards shorter length of hospital stay. This is, again, a difficult thing to really measure because there's many confounding variables, but the hospital length of stay was 38% shorter in our intervention group. It decreased from an average of 108.7 days to 67.25 days after protocol implementation. We also looked at our PICU length of stay to see if that was impacted as well, and we did see that it was 33.5% shorter in our intervention group. 
where our average length of stay in the PICU decreased from 67 days down to 44 and a half days. This didn't reach statistical significance, but it was an interesting trend that we noted in our patients. Uh, You had mentioned before in some of the statistics that they may not have been statistically significant because the numbers were relatively small. How many patients did you have in each of your groups? Certainly. So we had 52 patients total. So there were 32 in our control group and there were 20 in the intervention arm. Okay. Can you tell us a little bit about the withdrawal scoring system you used? Certainly. We used a modified Finnegan scoring tool. And the original Finnegan scoring tool was developed to quantify the severity of neonatal abstinence syndrome for infants that were born exposed to uh, opioids in utero. And so it's a difficult scale. It's a 31-item scale, uh, and it can be quite complex and comprehensive to score. So we modified that scale for our patients down from a 31-item scale to an 11-item scale, and it was designed for an easier and more efficient scoring of the patient. Many institutions use a modified Finnegan scoring tool, but it isn't a validated scoring system. Um, which brings us to some of the limitations of your study, one of which is that, that your scoring system wasn't a validated tool. Right, right. It does make it a little bit difficult and more difficult to apply globally to the patient population. And there also is a subjective nature to withdrawal scoring. So even as nurses change shifts or physicians change, you can have someone score a patient differently depending on who's looking at the patient. So that was one of our biggest limitations. Also, the retrospective nature of the study didn't really let us account for any other changes in practice that were occurring at AMPLATS or for other quality improvement measures that were made. So that reduction in hospital length of stay is very difficult to interpret on whether it had any true association with the protocol, but it was an interesting finding. Also, we had many confounding variables, and one of the biggest is that patients that are weaning from opioids are often simultaneously weaning from benzodiazepines, and it can be very difficult to determine which agent the patient's withdrawing from. And at the same time that we instituted our methadone taper protocol, we were also developing a benzodiazepine taper protocol that the pharmacist also managed. So that can make um, the results that we see a little bit more difficult to interpret. We talked about the small sample size, that only having 52 patients makes data interpretation a little bit trickier. But also excluding patients that discharge from the hospital while completing their taper could be a a valuable set of patients to review to see if we were successful as an outpatient as well. And we just didn't have the resources to be able to, to complete that type of data analysis. Do, do you? Uh, some of your tapers were really quite prolonged, particularly in the um, the, the control group. Did, do you often send kids home um, to complete their taper? Would you have had a sizable population that um, you had to exclude for that? I can't tell you the exact number, but there is a significant number of our patients that do discharge and still need to complete a few steps left of the methadone taper. So it's probably more so now that we have a very stringent protocol in place and we feel more comfortable discharging the family knowing that there's a clear set plan. But there were patients that were discharged on methadone um, and we, we do see that occur in our patient population. Uh, we do as well. And one of the things that we've found is that it's methadone, particularly for the smaller children, is not an easy drug uh, to get from an outside pharmacy. Not every pharmacy has it. So we've had to plan well ahead when we're sending a child home on methadone. Is that an issue you have in your area? 
We have a, a discharge pharmacy that's located uh. in Amplatz Children's Hospital. So uh-huh. we have a pharmacist, a, a retail pharmacist that's dedicated to helping with those transitions of care. So we're pretty lucky from that respect. Um, but I do know that before Amplatz became a freestanding pediatric hospital. So we're still affiliated with the University of Minnesota Medical Center. It's just that we recently moved to a 96-bed facility that's just our patients, Um, that when we were still a hospital within a hospital, it was a little bit trickier. Yeah, we have a couple of local pharmacies that work with us and that we know can usually help make sure the kids have their drugs available as needed, but it's not like some other things where you can just give them a prescription and say, take it to whatever pharmacy you like. Absolutely. What are the implications for your study for the care of our patients in the PICU now? So we found that the pharmacist-managed methadone taper using a standardized protocol is an effective method to wean pediatric patients off of opioids. Our protocol was good at defining our withdrawal risks and weaning patients in a manner that resulted in acceptable withdrawal scores. We know that we're not going to get it right 100% of the time, but we found that our patients tolerated these weans fairly well. And even though your withdrawal scores in your protocol group were slightly higher, although uh, I believe you said it was not statistically significant, they received many fewer extra opioid doses, suggesting I think you had said that there was a more objective set of guidelines for when does the child get an extra dose. Correct, yes. Which speaks well to standardizing the care and making sure the child gets what they need and not more. Absolutely. How do you think other institutions can apply what you have learned? We think that this protocol could easily be implemented at other institutions. We appreciated contacting other pediatric care centers to see what they had been doing, and we used their information to help develop ours. So we'd be delighted to think that our protocol could be implemented elsewhere. And we've had great success with our protocol, so we would hope that others would as well. think that you're probably right on that. Do you have any final comments that you'd like to make? So one of the things that we did learn through this process is that every protocol can probably use a little a little love and a little attention. So we found that there could be some optimization of the protocol, uh, lots of room for improvement. So we found that in our moderate risk group patients that our predicted length of methadone taper was 14 days and our average length of taper was only seven and the longest taper was only 10. So there are many reasons why patients could have been completing the taper sooner, but what we expect is that they may have come in under target because this taper was just a little bit too conservative, and the team was electing to move the taper faster to try and get the patients off of the opioid or potentially transition them to out of the PICU. So we think that we've got room to kind of tweak our protocol there and and adjust our taper length. So now that you've looked at these data, are you going to reconvene a group to look at the protocol again? Yes. We're hoping to evaluate the benzodiazepine taper that I'd mentioned previously and kind of overhaul both of them at the same time. And you have been using the modified Finnegan scoring tool. Other institutions obviously may use the Watt or other potentially other scoring tools. Is it, Since you're used to using this, is it your plan to stick with that? Or based on feedback from other places on this study, would you switch to the Watt? Or what's your plan with that? I think it's an interesting question, and I'd love to pose it to the interdisciplinary group when we meet again. I'd be in favor of moving to the Watt, just making the... Um, 
as the Finnegan scoring tool was really developed in neonates and the population that we're seeing, many of them are very young as we do have a cardiovascular ICU component to our PICU. So many of them are congenital heart defect infants that are maybe just transitioning from the NICU to the PICU. Uh, but we also see many older patients as well, and it's hard to say if that modified Finnegan scoring tool is really appropriate. So I think looking at maybe other options that are out there, it might be time to, to revisit that with our group. Well, thank you very much, Katie. It's been very interesting talking with you. Thank you. We have been talking today with Dr. Katherine Steinick about her article, Evaluation of a Pharmacist-Managed Methadone Taper, published in Pediatric Critical Care Medicine in March 2014. Thank you for joining us today. This concludes another edition of the iCritical Care podcast. Please check out our website at www.sccm.org slash iCriticalCare for more information. For the iCritical Care podcast, I'm Dr. Margaret Parker. Join or renew your membership with SCCM, the only multi-professional society dedicated exclusively to the advancement of critical care. Members receive discounts on all SCCM educational programs and resources. Please ask to speak to a customer service representative or visit www.sccm.org slash membership for more information. Margaret Parker, MD, FCCM serves as an associate editor for the iCritical Care Podcasts. Dr. Parker is professor of pediatrics at Stony Brook University in New York and is the director of the Pediatric Intensive Care Unit at Stony Brook University Medical Center. A former president of the Society of Critical Care Medicine, Dr. Parker is involved in quality improvement and standardization of care in the pediatric ICU, as well as resident education. Her clinical interests include severe sepsis and septic shock in children. The iCritical Care podcast is copyrighted material and all rights are reserved. Statements of fact and opinion expressed in this podcast are those of authors and participants and do not imply an opinion on the part of the Society of Critical Care Medicine or its officers or members. To contact the editorial staff of the iCritical Care podcast with questions, comments, or ideas, please email iCriticalCare at sccm.org or info at sccm.org.